Hi, my name is Lloyd Sarbats, and this podcast is brought to you by Liberia, a bookshop by Second Home. In this episode, I welcome Danish prize-winning author Tina Herg and Man Booker International nominated translator Misha Hookstra as we discuss the craft of writing and translating Tina's three-verse novel New Passengers and its adaptation for the theatre. I hope you enjoy. pass. I've been assigned a new name, a teacher's name, comprised of four letters from my first and last names. I've been given the code to the high school network, which is changed every six months according to the principle, summer 16, winter 16, summer 17, winter 17. I've been briefed on the systems. It's by chance We fall to talking on the train, my first day of teaching. I'm nervous and our legs graze each other when we sit down. You're a graphic designer at a travel agency. You're a commuter too. You're 10 years older than me. You're married and father to a girl. I look at my reflection in a store window at Copenhagen Central Station on Tuesday. I buy two cups of coffee and position myself on the escalator. Turns out you've done the same thing. We board with the cups. I donate mine to two teenagers who sit leaning up against each other, looking tired. They're happy and surprised. Blood in my body, a thrumming in my ears when the train starts to move. The first time I see you naked, train toilet, some place between Copenhagen and Nestville. I've never wanted someone this way before. Thank you, Misha. Um, so the story is, um, is about uh, love, um, the new job and navigating adulthood. Um, the authority of being a teacher and um, the commute. Um, I guess the first question I wanted to ask um, was uh, where did the idea for the story uh, originate? Um, mm. because this is quite a, it's quite a, an interesting angle. Yeah, I think that I knew from the beginning that I wanted to write about being in the late 20s, um, almost 30 years old, um, this kind of phase of life um, where you are not, it's not a transition into adulthood, it's kind of the years where you're supposed to already be an adult. Um, And I think that I experienced myself that society has a lot of expectations of where you're supposed to be at that age. Um, You're supposed to know who you are and what you want to do and what kind of job you want to have and maybe start creating a family and all these um, expectations. And um, I think that a lot of people uh, feel like they are a bit lost at this age. Um, And I think that uh, there's not written that much about this kind of uh, these, these, uh, these years. Um, And I wanted to kind of examine that. Um, And I think that, it's a very lonely place for the narrator. Um, she doesn't fit in anywhere. And, um, and I wanted to, yeah, to let her really be 
um, searching for herself, both in her job. She feels she doesn't belong there and she can't really see herself as one of the teachers and she's not a student. She's kind of in between. And, um, and her love life is kind of the same story. She's, um, she's much more of a spectator or she just observes people around her, but she doesn't feel like a part of any community. She feels kind of lost and alone. And, um, and I knew that I wanted to write something about that uh, these years. Um, yeah. And the idea to, to, to let her be a commuter um, came from myself. I was a commuter at the time. I was a high school teacher. <laughs> so, so I had a lot of, um, yeah, I could uh, just uh, pick things from my everyday life and use them to, uh, to kind of yeah, create this universe. Um, and, and, and I think that the train this, that, that starts the story and is kind of like uh, something that you visit a lot of times during the, during the, the story is, um, is an important place because it's kind of this limbo position that just is very perfect for the life that I wanted to to write about um, and her situation um, yeah it feels like um, the the train is uh, or the commute on the train is um, a metaphor um, like you said it's this a uh, transitional age where you're expected to know um, but you don't feel like you're part of anything um, mm. And so, was the was the commute and the the setting like a very conscious decision? No, not really. I can see now that it, you can use it as a metaphor, and I just did. Um, but but it 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 came to me because I was sitting on this train every day and had a lot of time to imagine uh, the lives of the people I was looking at, mm. and um, and I did a lot of writing on the train. So I think that <laughs> that. It, it kind of happened, but but it was perfect for the story that I wanted to tell. Um, but I think that um, it's often like that that it's just coincidences also. But but you you kind of form them and transform them to to um, to make the story you want to tell stronger. And I think that to put her on the train was just the right place for her to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually, the idea of, of the title that Misha just just uh, yeah, mentioned came because I was sitting on this train every day and and kind of heard this phrase and uh, yeah and just took it and used it as as the title yeah and one of my friends said that it was the perfect title because I could um, I could always think about how many times during a day that that someone would um, uh, mention my book <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a bit of free advertising. Yeah, exactly. That's brilliant. Um, so when, when you were writing um, the novel, um, the idea of writing in free verse, um, and, and your second novel was also written uh, in free verse, I understand. Yeah. Was that, um, is that something that you kind of gravitated towards or um, as mm. you were writing? Um, and... Could you could you share some insight into the process of writing and why you settled on that form? Yeah, I can just maybe if some of, if some of you doesn't um, don't have the text in front of you, I just it kind of looks like this um, the pages, um, and it wasn't something that I had planned before I started writing. Um, the text kind of appeared like that when I um, yeah when I sat down in front of my text, it just popped out like that. Um, and 
it took some time for me to to just um, settle on that and not trying to find out um, am I writing prose or am I writing poetry? What is this? And do I have to make a decision? And it kind of took some time for me just to, okay, I don't have to make a decision. I can just write something that I don't have a name for, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that to me, I kind of see the texts like um, pictures or scenes that I put together and they form a narrative um, and kind of like a movie or something in my head. Um, and, and, the text just have to look like that too yeah <laughs> and so it, it wasn't really something I had decided uh, before it, it uh, yeah it happened while I was writing so it was quite an organic um, kind of process yeah because yeah. I, I think one of the things I really appreciated about reading um, the free verse is the amount of space mm. not just um, on the page but um, as a reader um, the, the the space between the lines and the way that uh, a handful of words can depict um, something, but um, almost like a vignette, like a dashing off, mm. but, um, giving you that kind of uh, time, like mental um, arena to kind of just imagine. Um, yeah. That kind of worked um, beautifully as I was reading it. Those moments where you, you're just pausing and you're, mm. you know, you're, you're writing about um, like the sun um, coming in through the window and you know, forming a square um, that the hand rests in and those little kind of images or um, uh, kind of uh, exchanges as well. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that to me, the white on the pages have the same... Um, uh, it, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, the white on the pages, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, just the same as the text. So, so it, I just use it kind of just like I use the words. You know, the, the pauses are very important, just as important as as when someone is saying something. Um, yeah. So, so I, I use that, and mm -hmm. I. Um, but it also demands that you really, when you have so few words on the pages, you really, you really have to use the right ones you can't <laughs> you can't be sloppy in any way you really have to yeah um yeah to choose the right ones but but yeah yeah because um the, you've got those uh like a few lines where you've got the um the the couple are uh in the toilet of the train and then you've mm -hmm. got you know you, you you're basically depicting um a scene of passion but um really crafting it in in just a few words and then offering a lot of space mm. um, before, yeah. you know, moving on to uh, how the narrative um, kind of yeah. evolves uh, to the next scene or um, say the inner turmoil of the mm. uh, female character as she's, yeah, as she's kind of progressing through this um, mm. life of authority and teaching and the affair. Yeah. Um, did you, yeah. was there yeah. anything that I've, um, not really touched on that you wanted to share um, in in the writing of the novel or um, the the reception of it. Sorry. Um, is there anything that you wish to add um, to? Uh, no, I just I just want to um, yeah. But when I write um, in this way, I kind of some of um, the scenes are not finished until the the reader sits with the text because so, so many things happens when you 
because of the white space and because of the, the, the way I kind of cut the text. So, so yeah, so I think that a lot is going on in the, in the reader's head. And I like that, that, and, and I think that parts of the story are, are different uh, to every reader because I don't, um, there are a lot of things that I don't explain and you have to kind of um, imagine them yourself. So, yeah. Yeah. The other thing that's really interesting about what you do, Tina, is that um, because there's no punctuation, it's unclear often when you start a new little stanza, which is often just one line, mm. who's talking. You think it's often a continuation of what's come before, but it's not until you get to the end of that line or maybe even to the next one that you realize it's actually somebody else talking or it's something that is on somebody's t-shirt or yeah. <laughs> it's not clear if it's something that's in the person's, the, the protagonist's head or mm. it's often not clear until the end of one of these component poems, if we'll call them that, um, if it's a dream, if mm. it's a film on YouTube, if it's, um, yeah, yeah. That's kind of the description of reality. And mm -hmm. so that requires the reader to do a lot of work yeah. and to do some rereading. And then the reader can feel really smart because they figure yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think there's a real intellectual pleasure mm -hmm. I get in reading through it just because there's, it's a bit of a puzzle. Mm -hmm. And uh, it feels like there is a dominant narrative or a dominant way that it's intended to be read, mm. um, but that's only because you've crafted it really well with those, mm. you know, just a few words here, a few words here. Yeah. So I, th I think uh, that's very artful. So Misha, um, can you explain how you got the opportunity to uh, translate the, um, the work um, into English? How, how did you? Yeah, so Tina and I were, um, both at a Danish um, writer and translators retreat called Hel Holgorn. It's, um, it's an old manor house in a big estate on a Denmark's second largest lake. And there's a huge manor house where at, during refuge periods, during retreat periods, there are eight, um, eight writers illustrators, translators there. So it's a huge place. And we were both there at the same time in July, 2017. Yeah. And uh, it, it's a place where people hung out at night. I, I, I would bring my guitar and I would, I would inflict my songs on people at night <laughs> when they didn't have anything else to do. So they would listen to me and people would spontaneously eat together and such. So we met there. And uh, Tina had this book come out in Danish. There was a reading and I heard some of it and I, I said it sounded really cool. And she, she left the book in my food box. Your food box, yeah. It was my here. food box. Because, <laughs> yeah, so there, and there was this note on the front. I don't know if the Danes can read it there. But it says, Dear Misha, I've loaned which means I've stolen. I've loaned two carrots from you. Here you have my book as a thank you. 
Tina. <laughs> and I read it and uh, while I was there, and I was really excited about it. So I said I would really like to do a sample translation. There's good support from the Danish Arts Foundation for doing samples. And so I did that, and I really wanted to do more with that. And then it went pretty quickly. There's a, I mean, it's a, it looks like a proper sized book, but there is a lot of white space. <laughs> and how long, how long does the, um, the translation process um, take? Is it, is it um, usually quite quickly um, as a process or is it something that you have to kind of revise over and over again? Yeah, it's, it's both. Um, I think uh, my initial translation of the different sections, there's five different month sections, August through December, went fairly quickly, but there were some small problem areas that took an inordinate amount of time. And uh, then I spent a lot of time, particularly with the editor, not so much with Tina, okay, but um, with the editor going through and trying to um, make it read as, as musically and as mysteriously. <laughs> yes. to, to give the reader a, a comparable experience to what they had in Danish. And I guess that's um, one of the kind of key elements to the craft of translation is trying to kind of maintain the effect of the original in the target language. Um, do you do you often find that there's those uh, problematic passages um, when translating a work? Yes, um, and it'd be, it'd be nice if you could just cut them out, but that's taking the liberty. <laughs> and when when you um, encounter those, um, is it a case of going back to the editor, or um, uh, in this case, you you went to the editor, but or would you go to the author and? Yeah, yeah, and I I, I did uh, the initial drafts. I did, um, the first couple chapters I sent to Tina first because there wasn't an editor yet. <laughs> it hadn't been bought by Lolly Editions. When you're sending it to Tina, is it a collaborative process or is it more of a, like a sense check? You know, this this is what I've done. Do you approve? In, in this case, I th well, you can tell me, Tina. <laughs> Tina seemed reasonably um, satisfied with most things. There were some... Something that I flagged. Yeah, yeah. Some problem areas, and uh, we discussed different possible solutions. Mm, yeah. Uh, by but it was, yeah, it was very moving for me actually to read the the first chapters. Just it was um, yeah, to see my words, but in but in your words, it was very uh, yeah, mind blowing actually. Yeah. But <laughs> mm. well, I, I I did find that it seemed to fall really easily into my Midwestern American register. And um, I think the voice came naturally and easily. Mm. So it was just some particular things having to do with language. Um, when she's talking about particular Danish words, she's a Danish teacher, the protagonist, yeah. or jokes, or particular Danish traditions or um, sports, <laughs> um, uh, the culture of the Danish gymnasium, the Danish high school. Yeah. Um, so sometimes they were difficult to translate easily and still give it this 
profluence, this this drive, so that people would just read it, read it quickly, but still with that choppiness that's yeah. <laughs> in the original. Yeah. Um, when when I was reading it, it you you kind of sense um, those different uh, those cultural differences. Um, so my my take on the the culture within the the Danish school was one of like this is really liberal. Um, it, I, I wouldn't imagine going on a school trip and being allowed to drink beer or, um, you know, uh, kind of communal meals, those kind of things. It felt, you know, that um, the authority was there. Um, so trying to preserve the, the Danish culture for a target audience that may be unfamiliar with it, do you have to make concessions in the language? Um, I, I don't think so, because I think um, people say wow, that's Denmark. <laughs> I wish I went to school there. <laughs> or, um, I mean, I, I do think, so we translated gymnasium as high school, but it's a bit of a different institution and the kids are older. And in Denmark, you can, it's legal for kids to buy beer when they're 16. Okay. Mm. Um, they have to wait till they're 18 to buy hard liquor, but it's not hard to get. Um, in the United States, most places you have to be 21, although people manage to get alcohol. They don't, um, they don't drink with their teachers. Yeah. yeah that, that, um, that kind of struck me as something that was very yeah, Danish. You know, the, the idea of a, a blurring of the authoritarian lines. Um, and that's also one of the key kind of factors within the novel as well. Mm. Um, that you've got a teacher that's new to the profession who's relatively young, uh, yeah. but is also, you know, kind of fraternising. There's those little scenes where, you know, they're in Rome um, or, you know, smoking outside at 3am. Mm. Um, I, I mean, are those uh, aspects that you uh, witnessed um, as a teacher yourself or mm. purely of the imagination? Um, yeah, I, I've experienced some of that, and and she's kind of she's also um, she's mistaken for for a student by the janitor, for example, and that that happened. <laughs> so yeah, so so so, um, and I think that being very um, friendly with your teachers is very common uh, in Denmark. Yeah, so so, and I think that's important for her because for the story because she has to be in this kind of middle position where she's she's almost as much a student and as she is a teacher or she feels just as much as a student as she feels as a teacher. Um, so I think, um, and I, therefore it's important that Misha didn't change that uh, in the English version because it's, it's a part of the story and about, it's very important for her um, place of mind or state of mind that, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Because there's, the, there's um, a couple of lines where you've got a precocious uh, student who's used the word and then the teacher has to kind of duck out and Google what it means. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like that every day in the bookshop when yeah. someone's in and asks but me I, something. I'm like, yeah. Oh. But I think that everyone can feel like that uh, just being an adult, you, you have to pretend a lot of the time that you know what you're doing. And uh, even though if you're not a teacher in any other job or in any, maybe being a mom or being a dad, you a lot of the time just have to pretend you know what you're doing and then 
go out and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. don't really know. So <laughs> I, th- yeah. I think we, um, there's a phrase we use uh, called "fake it till you make it." Yeah, um, it, it did feel like that for the teacher in uh, a couple of instances. Yeah, um, and uh, I, I guess I guess um, I pretty much asked everything I can think of about translation without getting too technical, Misha, but is there um, anything you wish to add uh, from your experience? Or work? Uh, yeah, I, I thought um, one of the things we had talked about beforehand was uh, there's, a, there's some spots that were really difficult to translate and, and uh, how I managed to come up with a relatively satisfactory solution. So, so one example was... Um, Danish Wundball, which is this sport that is not recognizable to, it won't be recognizable to people in the UK, it won't be recognizable at all to people in the United States. And there's just one two-page scene that involves the rules of this game and just trying to convey that. So I ended up looking on a bunch of um, schools schools in Minnesota where they actually play this game. They're sort of Scandinavian um, cultural institutions and how they explain it and how... Um, so I ended up just calling it Danish softball and let some of the rules come out themselves. But just finding that... <laughs> was difficult. When I read it, it, it kind of seemed close to a game of rounders rather than baseball, but um, would that be where you've, you've tried to bridge um, the idea of uh, a very Danish idiosyncratic game with um, like the approximation of the target language that maybe... Yeah, and, th- and also in this case, the target language is American English, even though... It's only being published in the UK right now. Um, that was one thing I've been, I think, fairly lucky um, in is that with with most of the books I've translated, they've just let me translate them in very American English. Yeah. And they usually come out in the UK first. And it, there's always some people that it really annoys. <laughs> <laughs> Other people seem to think it's exotic. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I can't think of why anyone would get annoyed, but um, yeah, there, there are those exo- uh, exotic qualities. But I think that's why, as a monolingual English person, that, that's why I kind of get excited when I see a book like this getting published. Um, it, it offers me a glimpse into into another way of living and in some cases thinking, but also seeing universal qualities. So, you know, I think it's, um, it's great that Tina's novel is, um, exists and dares to kind of write about these, these aspects of life that aren't really mined in a lot of novels or fiction, like the, the commute, Tina. I think there's only a limited number of titles over decades where the trains are significant uh, scene. Mm. You know, um, it's why I, I appreciate the craft of translation, Misha. People like yourself take a very unappreciated skill in making this work available to someone like me, who I, I don't like reading English novels by English authors. 
Um, I'm just going to say that. I, <laughs> I, I, read today. I don't want to read about boarding schools and class struggles and, you know, silent dinners around with your parents. I, I want something else. So, uh, um, so thank you. <laughs> um, so um, one thing that I would say is that with the, with the language, I spent a lot of time working both with the editor, um, Denise Rose Henson, and um, a very a very astute um, copy editor, because there were a lot of places, since we were trying to preserve the American English and make it work as an American English book, but it was going to be read primarily by people in the United Kingdom. There are some things that mean the opposite or just won't be understood readily. So sometimes it was just working through and trying to find alternatives to different phrases. Yeah, I, I don't think there was anything that struck me as um, too incongruous. I think... I think uh, That's great. <laughs> I, think, I think there's a bridge between, like, uh, English um, and American English uh, through, you know, popular culture over, um, what, 50 to 100 years now that um, that kind of process of translation exists within the reader's mind almost, um, you know, uh, seamlessly. Um, and I, I felt like that when I read this, I didn't feel like it was written for the other side of the pond. I felt like, yeah, I'm getting a very Danish sensibility in this novel for, for me. Um, so yeah, it's a massive, massive success in, in terms of the work there. Can I ask um, you something, Misha? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, did you read it out loud when you were translating? Because um, I, when I write, I, I read everything out loud to myself a lot of times um, mm. it's, it kind of I feel like I write with my entire body or kind of with the yeah with my yeah it's because it's it has to sound like music or something it, it really has to have a, a certain rhythm so so I use my voice to find out when the text is um, if it's good enough or if it's if it's finished I, I really have to hear sure. it um, yeah the, do you do that, or how, how do you do Yes. Um, I don't do it as much as I used to. Um, I've, I always read with the sound on when I read yeah. silently. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think in particular, because there's a lot of misdirection that goes on, mm -hmm. where you, you initially, so there's, and it's a visual misdirection. You start reading a line, and you as I said, you start reading a line and you think somebody else is saying it and you discover who the actual speaker is yeah. at the end of the line. Mm. Um, and that sort of in-betweenness is a little hard to capture when you read it out loud or it's lost. Mm. I think. Mm. So with this particular book, I, I mean, there, there were definitely passages where I read it out loud, especially problem passages, things that just did not sound like they were idiomatic. Yeah. Um, the other th thing is that sometimes um, I try to preserve the line length so that so that none of the lines wrap yeah. around as they yeah. don't do in the Danish. And usually that wasn't a problem, but sometimes 
in English, we'll use a lot more words. Other yeah. times we use a lot fewer, but those places where you use a lot more, it was a question of how do I yeah. fit it in? Yeah. I really appreciate that you have done that because it's also a part of it for, for me. It, it has to um, to sound right, but it, it also has to look right on the page, kind of like a sculpture that you can't, uh, yeah. So mm. I think you've done that very, yeah, perfectly actually, yeah. Oh, sorry. How did the opportunity arise to actually adapt this for the theatre? Mm. Um, because that, I mean, if you could shed light on that, that would be amazing. But also, could you just tell us a story about what that experience involved? Mm, yeah, sure. Um, the Royal Theatre here in Denmark um, has kind of like... Uh, a lab department or something that where you can send text that isn't um, written for the stage. Uh, originally, you can send in all kinds of texts. And if you are lucky, you get chosen to, to kind of have this week where you can um, work with your text with the, a director and actresses and actors. And um, I send in 25 pages from uh, New Passengers. And... And they invited me for this week because they they saw some stage potential in in the text and and I have um, from the beginning when I was when the book was finished I I um, as I said before I, I I see it kind of like a movie or scenes and I I had an an idea that it would suit uh, would would be yeah good to put on stage and and they could see the same thing and what was interesting was that we didn't really have to do that much about the text we just uh, I had to rewrite a bit and to shorten it so it because it, this takes two hours to read everything out loud and and we had to do a play that was one hour long so so it was a bit of work to uh, keep the the whole story but but only in <laughs> yeah half of the words so so that was kind of the job for me but not to I didn't really have to transform the text at all um and, and I think that's interesting for me to discover that I write something that is prose and poetry and actually also a dramatic text um, at the same time. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it was, it was only supposed to have, uh, there was supposed to be two, um, I don't know the word shows or performances yet, but it was sold out and a big success. So they, I think they, they have done it nine, eight or nine times now, and with yeah, everything sold out, and it's yeah. And for me, that was kind of like reading Misha's translation. This is another kind of translation um, where it's my uh, work, but but transformed into kind of a twin work of yeah, very yeah. Uh, very moving for me to yeah be a part of that. Mm. Oh, amazing, and mm. I guess I guess how how does the um, how does the novel get performed? Like um, those those moments where you know you, you you're unsure whether it's say dialogue uh, between two teachers or mm. an internal monologue. Um, how 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 is that performed? Um, yeah, they did uh, they did it as a monologue, so there was only one actress who performed everything, and she um, she uh, would. Uh, she would change. She would. She, she was the narrator, but she was also everyone else. So she and I was so impressed to see how she could just with her um, body uh, be <laughs> ten different people uh, in one minute. She could just change and and yeah, be 
a lot of different characters and be both the narrator and the man she's having sex with in a toilet. And she, she could, yeah, it was very um, interesting for me to see her work with her body and her voice to kind of be everyone in one person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. It requires um, like a significant amount of range as, a, as an actress. Yeah. To, yeah, really. to yeah. yeah. And because you're alone on stage and it was very... Um, Kind of the set design was very simple. We only had a big black blackboard, very gigantic blackboard, and then a table and nothing else. And she just had to use all these these two items to change the room. Um, so the table could be a couch and it could be a train toilet. And uh, yeah, she was. I'm so impressed by her. She's amazing. Yeah. I really hope that the English version will be. Uh, <laughs> put on stage as well that would be yeah <laughs> are, you, are you sharing some kind of inside knowledge there is no but i just pray for it to happen yeah <laughs> if, if anyone's involved in the theater here um yeah you know, the, the, you've been pitched to um get yeah. hold of the uh, the novel and see if you can um craft a, a great performance yeah i know that in germany uh, the german version is um this sunday it's um uh, on the radio, kind of like a, I don't know, radio drama, radio play, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Oh, that that would be interesting to hear that as well, because um, yeah. I, I guess that that's a different a different process of translation, um, and would require um, potentially different techniques. Hmm. Yeah. Do you, Do you know? If, have you heard it? Or? No, no, it's it's this Sunday, so I'm very excited. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. So were, were you not hands-on in that? Um, no, not at all. I don't know anything about it. So, yeah, I'll just lean back and see what happens. Mm. Oh, fantastic. And with the, um, with the actress that performs the work, do you, do you have any choice in the casting or was that you're just no, pure? Not at all, no. But it was very, uh, I was so lucky <laughs> that we really connected very well. And she's she's really a good reader. And she was very um, sensitive about the text and asked me a lot of questions. How do you mean? Or what, what is the intention of this? And um, yeah, so we had a very close uh, collaboration. And we have friends now, very good friends. So <laughs> That's amazing. Mm. Well, we're, we're entering the, the last few uh, 15 minutes um, and I've got a few questions. Um, so um, this one's for you, Tina, um, and it, it's from uh, uh, Reese. Um, hopefully I pronounced your name correctly. Sorry if I haven't. You said you were, you were moved uh, reading the first translation. Did you feel any kind of distancing or estrangement from the novel? Mm, no, actually, and I think that was... I have to say I was a bit worried before I started reading <laughs> because what if I couldn't recognize m my voice or my narrator's voice in, in, in Misha's work, but I really did. And I also got something new. And that I think that's, that's really the, um, if you're a good translator, you, you have to, uh, it has to feel that way to, to the writer. You have to recognize yourself, but, but, but it's also a new work and and um, and Misha's voice is kind of in there too or his um, he's also a very sensitive uh, yeah reader and writer I think that you have to, to almost you have to be a writer to translate good um so I actually I didn't feel any kind of distance I felt um I felt like yeah my it was 
my soul, <laughs> kind of like I feel with this book, but also something new. Um, yeah. Oh, cool. Hmm. Um, and uh, I've just got another question here. Um, how did you transition from being a high school teacher to being an author? Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I wrote this book while I was a high school teacher, still was a high school teacher. And um, and I, as you said in the beginning, I won the Deputant Prize in Denmark. Um, and when that happened, I kind of made a decision to quit my job. Um, I, I, I have known for a long time that what I wanted to do is to be a writer, but it's... Uh, you kind of have you, you can't just be that you have to <laughs> write something in a, in order to be able to to yeah to to make that jump um and i think that winning that prize was kind of i got a little bit a little money but it was not much and nothing i, I maybe i could pay my rent for three months or something like that so <laughs> it was very insecure but but it was the right thing for me to do and i think that sometimes if you really want something you have to to just do it and or try to do it and if it doesn't work out I'll have to find a way to make it work but yeah but it was I think it was it was because of that that I that it happened there but I think that it would have happened maybe a bit later if I hadn't won that prize but but uh, yeah but that was hmm. yeah. I guess yeah winning the prize gave you uh, a shot of confidence mm, to, yeah yeah mm. to crack but also keep you hungry rather yeah. than, yeah, where you're mm. so comfortable, you can drag yeah. it out for a bit. Mm. Uh, so, um, thank you for sharing that. It's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm always wary about asking personal questions about, you know, careers and stuff. Mm. Um, okay, uh, I've got a few questions. Uh, people are getting confident. This is, this is great. The next one is, um, you mentioned the importance of commuting. Um, do you find this uh, commuting time useful? Uh, for reading, listening to music, working, or is it a drain on your time and energy? I actually loved it. <laughs> I had an hour from my home on the train until I was at the high school, and I always told told my um, co-workers, the other teachers that also were commuters, that I oh I have I have to prepare from the first uh, lessons, and I just. Uh, yeah, pretended to be working, but actually I was always writing or, or just thinking. Um, and I think that the commute is, um, the train is a really rare and weird place, actually, because it's um, the people that you commute with, you, you see them every day and you are in a way very, um, it's a very intimate room or space. And at the same time, you don't know their names and you can just imagine a lot of things about how they are and what they do and um, but and you know what they eat for breakfast and uh, you know what kind of coffee they drink and sometimes you see them fall asleep across from you but but you and at the same time you know nothing so it's kind of a very um distant uh, space but but at the same time a very intimate uh, space and i was I thought a lot about that when I was sitting here every day. Um, and I think that in a way that kind of also sunk into the text because um, the love relationship is at the same time very intimate, uh, kind of they, they uh, yeah, they have sex on the train toilet and it, you can't really get any closer than that. But at the same time, it's they are so distant from each other. And so I think that this kind of duality or, uh, yeah, I... 
I, I became aware of that because I spent so many hours on the train. Um, yeah, and I think, yeah, it's very, very interesting space, this train. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, and yeah, the next one, uh, yeah, the, the free verse aspect of the novel has already been mentioned as something arising organically from the composition. Um, but the questioner asks, um, I wonder if the various stylistic elements, um, so images, uh, metaphors, uh, dream interjections, were pre-considered um, um, or also appeared organically? And how did you balance those um, stylistic elements? Mm. Um. The dreams, for instance, or these fantasies, um, in the beginning, I um, I just kind of, it says, uh, the first time I see you naked, the second time, I also had numbers on the dreams, uh, the first dream, the second dream, but but I found out that um, I had to change that because um, I wanted to kind of make this organic form or make make the, the reader uh, doubt whether is this reality or is this a fantasy? And so I had to to not make it obvious. Um, so that was a th thing that I changed um, because I thought, ah, I want to make things a bit more blurry. Um, yeah, so that was something that I, I um, decided to change. Um, yeah, but I think that uh, writing metaphors and, and these things kind of happen while I write. It's never something that I... Um, plan beforehand. I just and I think that in order for me, in order to write uh, well, I have to um, to not think too much about it. Um, of course, I'm thinking a lot when I have written something, but when I just go into the text, I have to be open-minded and, and I have to kind of go with with what the words where they lead me. I can't uh, plan anything, um, uh, something, but not everything. And I think that some of the best parts of the text for me appear um, it, it kind of uh, some intuition or something that happens while I am in this I'm in there with my text and the text does something itself uh, through me or I don't know if it sounds yeah but but, <laughs> but I can't I can't I can't think everything through before um, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's not like um, it's intensively plotted it's more like um, you like someone painting on a canvas. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, you kind of respond to mm. what you put down and you kind yeah. of make a decision whether you like that or not. Or yeah. How you but then it's important to mention that um, that after that, there's a really um, hard work in, in finding out how to, to puzzle the text together. And I, I, I use my, I, I really think so hard about that and read it out loud and find out uh, this phrase I have to put up here and this I have to move and I can use another word and this is more precise. So it's it's very um, it's very hard work to make the text uh, fall into place. Um, yeah, but that's a different uh, part of the work than, than uh, making the story flow or, or yeah. Mm. Okay. And I like both, uh, <laughs> both these. Yeah, um, it kind of appeals mm -hmm. to different sides of the creative process. Yeah. This question's a bit of a, um, it could be a bit of a spoiler for anyone that actually wants to read it. So you might want to keep the answer really curt and <laughs> like no comment. But um, it says uh, throughout the novel, uh, we see that the narrator is struggling with the idea of adulthood. Does she get any closure in the end of the novel after her relationship with the unnamed man? Hmm. Hmm. 
No, I don't think that there's not any closure. Um, and I will not, I don't think I'm going to spoil the ending, but, but it's not like uh, the narrator and the reader can say, ah, I learned this and now everything fall into place and I'm an adult. And I, I think that for me, some of or an important point is that, um, that the idea of adulthood is, maybe an illusion. I think that um, for me, when I was younger, I always thought that uh, adulthood would be kind of some place that I was, uh, that I would land in, or I would find myself, ah, now I'm an adult and I, I know what I want to do with my life and I can find some kind of peace. And I think that uh, now being 34 and uh, it, <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, I, I'm me and I, all my doubts and all my, uh, they're gonna last throughout, and and I think that's that's been interesting for me. Uh, uh, um, the readers of this novel are uh, of very different ages. Um, a lot of older people have loved the book as well, and I think that um, the the kind of the trouble that she's going through it it actually it doesn't really have anything to do with that age, or or some of it can. You can also fall in love with someone that belongs to another one when you are 50 years old or 60 years old and you can don't know who you are when you are yeah, 40 or 45. I think that, that the idea to kind of be, uh, yeah, to land somewhere in adult life, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think, yeah. Mm. Oh, uh, the punctuation and form of new passengers is an important part would you consider writing something in future that used other forms, um, maybe verse or writing for audiobook podcast consumption, or even a good old epistolary novel? Or do you prefer to wait and see what happens when you sit down to write? This is, yeah. you could yeah. maybe share your your <laughs> latest work that came out. Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I just I published uh, this novel uh, three months ago uh, in Denmark, my second novel, and. Um, and it was the same thing. I didn't really, when I sat down to to see what would happen, I, I hadn't, I didn't uh, plan for it, for how it was supposed to look. Um, but but you can see that I just told you, Lloyd, just before we started, that it, it looks kind of the same. But that's a very very big difference to me because there's punctuation in this one. Um, <laughs> I don't use it kind of the regular way. I have kind of um, made my own system for yeah. For the translation, but <laughs> but 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 it's been yeah. But that's a big difference, and there are also some texts in here that are um, uh, conversations on messenger and um, and text messengers that that uh, yeah. So so yeah. So there are some new things, but but it's kind of the same form that I have evolved, um, and there's a new thing also that um, this is kind of a very regular story you know you start from one point and you kind of just uh, go go with the with the narrator till the end but in the new novel there are two uh, time levels or how how do you say that you know that kind of mix together so you can flow float in and out of of time as well so um so that that really demands a lot from me to make that work for for the reader so i think that i've um, i've done it i've done something that's much more complex but with the, the same 
essential form or genre that new passengers has it but but yeah it's but it's more complex and i don't know um, i just started something new and i don't want to say anything about it yet uh, because then i can ruin everything but but um and i don't know how that's gonna look or, or yeah so it's it's uh and i think it, it has to be that way that i don't really know what will happen when i yeah mm. cool Tina, do you consciously place yourself in a tradition of women's writing or um, do you see yourself as a group of contemporary women writers who have a specific relationship to the literary establishment or to the world? Mm. I haven't, I don't really think about that when I write Um, and I think that's important and when you're writing you can't really think about the way your work is being comprehended or or who who you're being um, put in a box with or who you are what your generation is I think that I just I write what what I feel like I have to write um but but I think that there are in Denmark a, a lot of books right now who who and I think that the new book I've written here and kind of deals with some of the same things that are um uh, how to be uh, how to be a woman with all these expectations about being a mother, for example. And I think that um, that the new book also deals with that, um, being an artist and being a mother. How do you kind of get these things to, yeah, to, um, to melt? Um, yeah, and I think that, and maybe also some new aspects of, of motherhood are not, being a mother, um, and I think that that's that's something that in Denmark right now a lot of books are concerned with um, in different ways. Uh, yeah, but I don't I don't really place myself uh, along with others when I write. I just I I write something, and then of course I'm a part of the time. And uh, yeah, so 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 I think that there are some things that kind of um, yeah where we are some young voices who, who are concerned with the same things, but, but, but it's not something that I'm conscious about when I, I read, you know, write, yeah. Mm.